Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. And this week, embarrassment has been in the news. First of all, we learned that London's world-famous Oxford Street, once branded a national embarrassment by the boss of Marks and Spencers, it's now going to get a much-needed facelift. This week, Westminster Council decided it wants to reinvigorate what has been widely known as the shopping jewel of the West End, but in recent years, it's become renowned for souvenir and sweet shops. Recently, Stuart Makin, chief executive of M&S, said Oxford Street was an embarrassment with a proliferation of tacky candy stores, antisocial behaviour and footfall remaining in the doldrums. And then, apparently, there's embarrassment in the halls of power. Workplace embarrassment isn't a phrase you normally associate with inflation, but for the folk who work at the Treasury and the Bank of England, it's turning into agitation bordering on humiliation. This week we get the inflation figure for June with the city assumption that it would be down from 8.7% in May to 8.3-ish now. That doesn't mean that things are getting cheaper, of course, just expensive a bit less quickly. But the really embarrassing bit is that despite 13 successive Bank of England interest rate rises, our inflation remains a problem. And that's embarrassing. So let's talk about embarrassment, because once I risked my life, actually make that twice I risked my life, simply because I'm embarrassed to say I was embarrassed. The dive master surveyed the nervous gaggle of divers, which included me. He knew we were all scared and seemed quite delighted about it. We were about to conquer the depths of the Australian Great Barrier Reef. Diving always feels cumbersome until you get into the weightless world of the sea. You clamber around the boat, a heavy oxygen tank on your back, your feet cocooned in ungainly fins, great for swimming, useless for walking. And we had additional encumbrances. We were all trussed up in stinger suits, an underwater body bag that covers virtually all skin, a precaution against box jellyfish. Now, you don't want to meet a box jellyfish. A minuscule but pathologically aggressive little critter, this jellyfish is rather well endowed with no less than eight gonads and 24 eyes. Their sting produces agonizing pain and is reckoned to kill around 100 people a year. Just recently, two French divers died while exploring the Great Barrier Reef, and the prime suspects are those box jellyfish. Both men died from cardiac arrest, a reaction frequently caused by their sting. When the news broke, it emerged that some years ago, one medical investigator deliberately allowed himself to be stung in order to understand the power of their venom firsthand. He's a braver man than I because it appears that they pack a punch a hundred times more more powerful than a cobra and a thousand times greater than a tarantula. Not good. And this was not the only danger lurking below the surface, because there were sharks. The dive master, thoroughly enjoying himself now, said that in this stretch of ocean, sharks were expected, not just anticipated. Suddenly, the theme music from Jaws began playing in my head as I imagined a gang of great whites waiting just beneath the surface, all saying grace, giving thanks for the delicious food that was about to be served. 
that would be me. I'd been feeling rather adventurous. Out hiking the day before, we'd almost stepped on a super-venomous brown snake. We'd parachuted off of a cliff, strapped to grinning college students, and landed in a school playground during their mid-morning break. Apparently, with scant regard for health and safety regulations, the children knew when to get out of the way of people who were landing. Very assuring. And then, on safari in the Queensland rainforest, we'd heard about spiders the size of 12-inch pizzas that drop out of the trees and particularly enjoy attaching themselves to one's face. On top of this, there's the cassowary, an ostrich-like creature with a serious attitude problem that's been known to literally disembowel humans that they encounter. Call me sentimental, but I rather like my bowels and didn't want to donate them to a passing bad-tempered bird. Despite all that I've mentioned, I'm not addicted to danger, but I'd still signed up for this dive, and now, bobbing around on the surface, waiting for the signal to descend, my mind was just screaming. I very much wanted to cancel this mad expedition. It didn't matter that I'd paid for it. The thought of staring into the cold black eyes of a shark or the multitudinous eyes of a toxic jellyfish just didn't appeal. But I didn't signal my change of mind or climb back into the boat. I went with the dive and... There were sharks, but thankfully, they weren't in the mood for a snack. No jellyfish wafted our way. I learned a stinging truth about myself in that moment, and one that I'm embarrassed to admit. I submerged only because I was anxious about what my fellow divers would think of me, even though I would never see them again once the dive was over. That anxiety outweighed my concern about aquatic predators. Essentially, I went through it for one reason only. I was driven by the potential opinions of strangers. I was embarrassed about the potential for being embarrassed. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all adopt a universal, not-bothered approach to life. Only a sociopath doesn't care. But fear of the opinions of others robs us. We decide not to bop around clumsily at that wedding reception, worried that our clumsy moves might raise a silent titter with our strictly, non-strictly strutting. In discussions, we back away from saying what we really think, worried that we might seem foolish, divisive, opinionated, or all of the above. Christian leaders, obsessed with what others think, refuse to make difficult or potentially unpopular decisions, terrified that some will like them less because of their stand. But neurotic anxiety about the verdicts of others is irrational. Most of the time, we won't know what they think because they won't tell us. It may surprise us to know that the minds of those around us are elsewhere and not focused on us at all. As Ethel Barrett once said, we would worry less about what others think of us if we realised how seldom they do. And if they do disapprove and they're wrong in their judgement, we need to ignore them. Faced with a mounting clamour of criticism from the Pharisees and their pals, Jesus modelled a calm indifference to their snide asides and quite literally kept calm and carried on. So when we're tempted to be paralysed with fear about what people think, when we're concerned about being embarrassed, 
Let's think again and live out loud anyway. Let me share when I was embarrassed in Alaska. My nervousness kicked in when the minibus pulled up. We were in Skagway, Alaska, and we decided to splash out and take a tour of the glaciers in a small single-engine airplane. Now we were waiting to be picked up for the short ride to the airstrip. The courtesy minibus skidded to a halt. It had definitely seen better days, had probably been driven previously by Moses, and was in fact a bucket of rust. I hoped that the company maintained their planes more effectively than their minibuses. But when the driver informed us of our next stop, my heart really sank. We're going to pick your pilot up on the way out to the airstrip, he said. He's at the bar with his girlfriend. Yikes. Now, I was going to hand the care of my life over to a company that owned a bus that was in need of a Christian burial to be piloted by a man who might well be high and not just in terms of altitude. We pulled up outside the bar and a blonde, blue-eyed 12-year-old, or so it seemed, hopped in and introduced himself as our pilot. My palms began to sweat. We were his only passengers. I stifled an overwhelming temptation to hurl myself out of the moving bus and began sniffing the air to try to detect the slightest smell of alcohol. I must have looked like one of those drug detection dogs with hay fever. Five minutes later, we screeched to a halt at a plane that could have made a guest appearance on the Antiques Roadshow and reluctantly climbed aboard. The pilot's door didn't fit, so he had to slam it shut three times, I wondered how easily it might reopen mid-air. You guys okay? He shouted back at us. I wanted to scream that no, I was not okay, that I needed to get out of this death trap and that I had mistaken this excursion for a jet boat ride. But I did none of those things. I gave the thumbs up and smiled a rather terrified grin. As we taxied down the runway, a pilot in a plane following us radioed our adolescent captain. Your brake light is out, buddy, he said. Great. What else was out? Had he fueled up the tank with fuel? Was the propeller screwed on tight? How was it that our pilot was handling an aircraft when he hadn't yet used a shaver? But... We went ahead and we took the flight. And we did so for one reason alone. I didn't want to embarrass myself by protesting. I couldn't cope with the thought of offending our pilot. As young as he was, he'd probably be scarred for life by experiencing such conflict prior to puberty. As it turns out, there was actually nothing to worry about. There were a couple of hairy moments, like when he turned round to adjust our headsets while steering directly at a mountain. Then, when he spotted a couple of mountain goats, he flew in very close to see them. But the flight was one of the most exhilarating experiences of our lives, with breathtaking views of the lakes and ice formations. And our pilot was very accomplished and would probably do quite well as an adult. Once again, I was also stunned as I realised the power of embarrassment, because I preferred to risk my life rather than protest. And I wondered how much embarrassment paralyzes and silences us every day, when we should just speak up. It happens in church life, 
We go along with the consensus and keep silent when we feel uncomfortable because we fear that we'll appear stupid, unspiritual or rebellious, red-faced. We shuffle along with the crowd. In some churches, meek compliance is a prized characteristic, especially demanded of women. Those with a brain cell and a voice are unjustly tagged as strong women or pushy. This is outrageous, but some stay quiet rather than risk the embarrassment of the labelling. So perhaps it's time to take a risk and not one that involves flying. Let's stop cringing and speak up, kindly, graciously, but without fear. Let's feel free to say no if no is what's needed. But whatever we do, let's not be embarrassed to death. Well, as we've been thinking about embarrassment tonight, I've largely framed it negatively. Embarrassment is a powerful emotion, and it's one that most of us try to avoid at all costs. However, let's just pause for a moment and consider the potentially positive effects of embarrassment, because embarrassment or the fear of it can cause us to hold on, to stop and think before we speak or before we act. Embarrassment, therefore, can be a good thing if it stops us from doing something that's, frankly, really embarrassing. That said, let's be people who don't live terrified of the opinions of others. And when we have to speak up because we disagree, let's do so, as I've said, boldly, clearly, but kindly. Have a great week. Lucas on Life.